Welcome to this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast, The Wire Remix, Season 1, Episode 6, The Wire. So the title, the name of the episode is the name of the show. I I think that's probably the only time I've seen a show do that, have a title of an episode be the same name as uh, as the show itself. As always, I'm here joined with Robert Sapp. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining me, sir. You. How you doing? Yeah, I continue to uh, break down season one of The Wire. This episode, again, of course, was called The Wire, directed by Ed Bianchi. Bianchi, if I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, this was this episode was ranked 30th on Vulture's all-time Wire episode. So up until this point, this would be the highest ranked episode that we've done uh, so far. Um, and the epigraph, of course, is in all the pieces matter, Lester Freeman. Um, very uh, potent epigraph, um, without question. We'll talk about that. Uh, this season, not the season, this episode begins, of course, with the um, the body of Omar's boyfriend, Brandon, being found by uh, Wallace and Poop. Um, Wallace, before this, before he finds the body, Wallace wakes up to an alarm clock and we get a little, uh, get to know Wallace even that much more. Uh, he is in a, one is in a row house with Poot and a bunch of about five or six younger boys who anywhere from the ages of, I would say anywhere from eight to 10, younger than him. Um, he's kind of like, uh, amazingly, they're a fatherly figure to them. From a standpoint of he's handing them, he's giving them chips with the book with their book bag. He reminds them that if they don't go to school, uh, social services will come around asking. Uh, he sends them off, and then he and Pooh, of course, find um, see that the uh, police have found the body of Brandon, which is stretched out on a car, bloodied, with one eye out, out with one eye gouged out, a bunch of cuts and. Just a torture session uh, by the Barksdales, of course. Who that's that's what Avon wanted to do. Wanted to send that message to the courtyards about stealing from them, and the message was sent to one Wallace, who is completely shook by this. Um, he stands by Poop. Poop says, "Hey, that's him, the boy that we, uh, you know, Omar's boy." And then Wallace Wallace didn't say anything. Yeah, he's again. His mouth is wide open. He's again. He's completely. His eyes are just, you know, fixated on that image of of seeing a guy laying, hang, you know, laying, hanging on the car. Not hanging on the car, but laying a flower on the car, with one eye seemingly looking at him. Um, what were your thoughts um, to this opening scene? A little bit more in depth on what on who Wallace is uh, with this scene. Yeah. Um... This is this is one of the meteor opening scenes of the entire series, I would argue. Um, the so I, so the easier part for me is when um, it switches to Brandon having been killed and tortured on the car. Like all of that is for a reason, plot wise. All that's for a reason within the within the story. Um, the the uh, reason why I appreciate The Wire in this show and why it's a treat to watch it every week and every time that I, you know, I do these weekly reviews, I watch it every week and why I've watched it so many times is for the first part of that opening. 
it would be so easy for a show like this to demonize its characters. It would be so, so easy to do that. In a variety of different ways, they don't do that all, like, all the time. But in this particular instance, um, it shows us the why. Um, why is Wallace hanging out on those corners? Why are these kids going to be doing what they're doing? And um, it, it, it shows you the, the circumstances that, that people are, are in. And no one, no one is, is actually out here doing this for the fun of it and for the thrill of life um so anyways that that first part uh when i watched it again i was just like yeah this is this is why i love this show this is why this show is is for real the truth um because it doesn't shy away from from all aspects of of um its subject matter and um the the fact that people are born into abject poverty because that's what they were showing abject poverty like there's they're wiring electricity into that to that house just to have heat everybody's flipped spread out in in different places you know bags of chips or lunch breakfast and dinner you know versus you know or add on whatever they can get get to school and then if you don't have a bag of chips then that's that's just real and like you said wallace is the father figure that that should say it all that should say it all and it does say it all um and so anyway so so again that's 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 why this this opening is is one of the best to me um but besides that um the kind of like the branding being laid out there and wallace's direct reaction to that um it's actually the like the normal reaction like that's how anybody in a normal circumstance would react to seeing horror like that you would you, it would haunt you it would haunt you and again that kind of shows like the environment that um these characters are being brought up in right um that for the most part everybody in that scene just acts as if this is normal um and it absolutely isn't normal or shouldn't be normal and Wallace acts accordingly. So they're kind of like shining a light on um, how bizarre this, this world is. But when you tie it again with the epigraph, you know that all the pieces matter. Um, the reaction of the Barksdale's crew is um, what is going to be ultimately they're undoing and you can start to see that in this in this episode and particularly in this in the beginning of it because they reacted in this way it sets wallace off it puts resolve around daniels and um it sets omar off uh so yeah this 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 was an opening <laughs> this this was an opening did a lot yeah i mean <clears throat> this was an opening that to your point was beyond plot points because we are both educators. We deal with kids every day. Um, and these unfortunately are some of the realities of some of the children that we deal with, um, unfortunately. And you see a Wallace having basically to raise a kid, to raise other kids when he's a kid. 
and you see like you know before these kids you know even get to school they've already been through been through hell like you said that's that's those are shitty living conditions you know on top of each other basically it's like you know basically eight people and i didn't include even poop poop's little girlfriend wallace probably like eight or nine people in one little row house room um what have you so it goes like when i it was a it was a tough watch and um it was a tough watch and i've seen you know seen this episode you know countless times and i was like ooh. I was like, yeah, this, you know, this was, it was, it was definitely difficult to watch considering that, you know, you have this kid raising kids and I'm like, like, no, this is not, this is not going to work out for these kids. I mean, I already know, you know, with Wallace, we already know we can leave that till, till later, but I'm just talking about these kids who are being uh, raised by Wallace. Like what is their, <laughs> what does their future look like? So very difficult scene, powerful scene to uh, to your point, a very difficult scene uh, to watch, especially to, to open the show. But again, that's the the wire is a unfiltered, unapologetic show, um, and raw to its core. So you have that go, you have that. Then we move on to McNulty and Rawls, um, and Lansman. Lansman is also in the office. Um, McNulty. Rawls basically, I mean, McNulty basically didn't say anything during the course of the scene. It's mostly Rawls telling McNulty what he's telling McNulty, look, I know you're on this case, but we want you back here. I, I demand that you come back here and, you know, fuck your, fuck this bar sale case. I don't, I don't care about that. So you have Landsman there basically playing the Landsman, you know, kissing Rawls' ass and playing the good soldier from that standpoint, uh, playing his part. And McNulty basically has no, you know, he, you know, he's thinking, he really really didn't have too much to say in that scene. It was all dominated by Rawls's, you know, dictatorship, like, hey, you're coming back. If you want to come back, basically I'm doing you a favor by allowing you to come back from this little shit case that you've been doing. So that's, that's, that's the Rawls' mentality. Like, this is a favor to you. When he, what, what word do you use? I'm a reasonable guy. Yeah, that's that's what he was saying. And you know, McNulty's very like, reasonable. reasonable. Yeah, very reasonable, sir. As Lance would say continuously. <laughs> and McNulty, you know, you ask McNulty, and you know, basically, you don't acquiesce. That can lead uh, unreasonable, a reasonable guy to being unreasonable. That was McNulty's retort at the end of the scene. Uh, so you had a lot on this. What are your thoughts on what? on McNulty in this particular scene. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, my main thing is like, I was, I was just, I was going to say, slow down. I'm not on McNulty's side at all or his perspective at all. Let's, let's pause for a second. Those are his bosses. Those are his bosses. It actually doesn't matter how you feel about something. Those are the people who, who are, who, who are your boss. It's just that simple. And so the, the, Righteous indignation attitude of McNulty, we know what that we what that is and how it presents itself over over the series. But in this particular episode, in this particular moment, it really irked me. Um, and the reason that it irked me was McNulty brought the files in. 
Now, I think I know why, as I was watching episode, I was just really irked when, when that, and I always get irked at this point. I, I actually came to a different conclusion watching it this time that allowed me not to be as annoyed as I probably sound like right now and usually am when I watch this. I'm always annoyed by it because he brings the files in. He brings the files in. There's first, the first thing he says is, look, um, Rawls, I think we can, look, Lieutenant, I think we can clear a couple of blah, blah, blah. And then Rawls says, I don't care about your cases. Now we're going to go in. So I know we haven't gone back in, into that. That's why I just want to keep that's it. I just want to keep in keep in mind as we go through this episode. Remember, he's the one that brought the files in to Rawls and said to him, I have these cases for you. And then his reaction to everybody else is, um, you're the assholes. Right. And that that drives me crazy. Right. Um that 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 drives me crazy because that's that's not a that's not a rational human being acting in that moment. That's an irrational child acting in that moment, wanting to blame everybody else for their mistakes. Um, and that, that, that will set me off as a, as a person and then as a viewer for, to watching that character flaw. Now, it's great that I have that reaction. I don't think it's by accident that the writers and the creators and the actor um, chose different ways in which to to do the scene. I think they want one of those reactions from an audience member to be my reaction. Absolutely. Um, so it, it in no way takes away, of course, from the brilliance of the show because they're invoking a very significant emotional reaction for me. But I'm not going to also sit and laud uh, McNulty for his his staunch defense of his case. Like, no, uh-uh. You did that. You did that. You created that whole situation. Yeah, I mean, the easy narrative to paint on this particular scene would be like, um, Rawls is a bully, he's an asshole, so on and so on. But the bottom line is, Rawls is in his position for a reason. By playing ball, by being a politician, by looking out for his best interest and the best interest of his unit. He's doing which his is, job. Which is, exactly. Clear, which is, clear, which is what a boss should do. Right, which is the right, yes. <laughs> which, is all, which is what all yes. our bosses do. He's doing his job. Yes. Doing his yes. job. How so, dare he? How yeah, dare yeah. he? So Rawls is not the asshole here. That's that's what we're basically trying to say to, to, to the audience. Well, I mean, I'm just, it's not that Rawls isn't an asshole. No, in this scene, say, in this, this, no, in this scene, he's not the asshole. But just because you don't like what somebody's doing doesn't make them, by definition, an asshole. Right. Um, and that's how I perceive McNulty reacting. It's that he doesn't like what Rawls is doing. Um, yeah. So we, we go to the detail, um, listening to the calls on the payphone, on the one payphone in the pit. Um, you have, now this was, this was a quick scene. They're listening to the pay, they're listening to the one payphone, to listen to the pay, uh, to the calls from the one payphone, from one payphone that's in the pit. And they realize basically that, that we need to be, we need to be on, on more payphones. And this is just, this is not enough. Quick scene, what were your thoughts? All the, 
pieces matter. All the pieces matter. I mean, like this is this is the epic. There are no quick. I mean, like yeah, it was a quick scene in time, but there's no. I mean, the wire doesn't waste scenes no. anyway, no. and there are no wasted scenes in this episode. It's that it goes exact. I might be jumping ahead, but right now I can't. I'm so annoyed at McNulty. I can't keep my thoughts straight a little bit. Um, but this goes exactly together with the scene that Freeman has with uh, 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 Press later on when Press marks a thing not pertinent. And he's like, no, the information that we're getting, whether it is obvious or not obvious, all is a part of the case. And what they're doing right now is they're setting up and showing the audience the rules of a wire. Like, we didn't all know this. We, we've seen this so many times. We think, like, yeah, 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 yeah. But when this, was com- when this first happened, when this show was first coming out, we didn't know these rules. The audience didn't know these rules. Like I said, this was such a groundbreaking show, or anybody says, I said, um, anybody says, uh, such a groundbreaking show because it broke away from the police procedural and dived into something like this. So... Every the reason why this episode, in my humble opinion, is called here is because it's introducing something that is fresh and brand new to an audience. Um, the audience we didn't know what a wire was per se, um, and we definitely didn't understand all the legal ramifications of everything that needs to be done in in a wire, um, in a wiretap. And so this scene, although short is very, very meaningful because it's this, as this episode does, it sets up the rules of this world. It sets up the rules of how and why you need to do certain things with a wire for in order to have a wire and in order to maintain a wiretap. So you have uh, McNulty in the crime scene. He, he finally makes his way to the crime scene. He sees the burn marks. He sees how tortured Brandon, has, Brandon was. Um, again, you had broken fingers, burn marks, one eye gouged out. He spread out on the car. And uh, McNulty recognizes that this is a clear message um, by Avon uh, to any, you know, to Omar, to anybody else who, who even thinks about robbing him. And um, what were your thoughts on, uh, what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, McNulty also recognizes the message it's going to speak to Omar, right? Like he recognizes that it's a message to the pride, like why they laid him out here. But he also knows that this is going to be the thing that he can get, he can hook Omar with. Like he wasn't going to get Omar with a gun charge. He wasn't going to get Omar with a humble. He wasn't going to be able to flip Omar and everything. So the way that he could actually get Omar to have a conversation with him and to potentially give him information that he knows was to let him know about this murder at, of his boy as soon as possible. Um, and so again, all the pieces matter. All the pieces matter. So, um, go ahead. And so Omar would not be directly tied to their case, but McNulty knows by having Omar involved, he can get more information slash put more pressure on Barksdale Cook. Yeah, I mean, he knows he's using this. He's using this as a means to where he knows he's going to be able to push the case. So, it you know, to your point earlier, it benefited him greatly the way the Barksdales did uh, kill this dude. Um, 
the way they tortured him. Um, so it it was a benefit towards McNulty for not only for them to kill him, kill the dude, but to to just outright just torture him. And McNulty's McNulty's words, you know, they must have killed this kid three or four times. Um, you have D'Angelo and Wallace back at the pit. Uh, Wallace clearly shaken up by the killing. Um, D'Angelo, of course, basically trying, you know, basically trying to tell him, you know, get over it, not get over it, but, you know, let, let it go. Um, basically telling uh, Wallace, what did you think they were going to do when, when we made that call? Um, he's now, keep in mind that they're being watched by Carver, by Carver on the rooftop. So Carver watches him and relays a message back to the detail, back to the detail. You have one of, you have during that same scene, you have D'Angelo being called by Stringer on the payphone, on the payphone. And one of the Barstow soldiers slips up and uses Stringer's name on the payphone. Um, then you have Stringer asking to get, uh, to get Bodie out. Um, then of course, D'Angelo goes back to uh, Wallace and lets him know that Bodie is uh, coming home. A lot going on in this particular scene. There were a lot of, movie, a lot of facets of, of this scene. It wasn't even that long of a scene. Go ahead. Um, the, was, was it Bodie who slipped up and said, no, no, no. He did, no, Bodie. This that that, that, was was, that was later in the episode. Yeah, this, okay. All right. Okay. This was uh, somebody whoever slipped up and said Stringer's name was somebody that we didn't know. I, it was. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So. Um. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, like the, again, all the pieces matter. This goes right into everything that we're talking about in terms of setting up the rules of the universe, particularly setting up the rules of, um, of a wiretap and what and what it means and what they have what they have to do um and so the big the big thing here is um they're being able to identify um all the major players that they never would be able to identify under normal norm or would make would be very very hard to under uh identify under normal circumstances yeah um it's starting to show some cracks too in the barstow organization as far as Again, but they don't know that they're wired. They just don't. Nobody knows about this. No, There's nobody. No crack. I mean, like, they're cracks, I guess. But these no, are young boys. Rent, but like, like the rules are there for reasons. I, I get exactly what you're saying. Um, but they nobody's also anticipating this. No, nobody. No, they, they don't know about the wire yet. Um, you have Bodie and uh, Levy in the court. Levy, of course, gets Bodie out. The judge questions, how could Bodie have this type of representation? Of course, we know Levy works for uh, Stringer, excuse me, works for uh, the Barksdales. Um, Stringer, we didn't mention this in the last scene, Stringer identifying that Bodie is somebody worth getting out of jail. I thought that was, that was notable, uh, something to take, that was something to take heed of, uh, about um, because you would think that Bodie at this point in his in his uh, life right at this point is just is barely above not even barely a soldier i mean he's barely he's he's a youngin in the pit he's not even he's not even on webay's level as far as being recognized by the uh by the barksdales but clearly stringer has been um notices him and been recognized him which doesn't speak well for uh 
D'Angelo. The fact that that the fact that Bodie is getting that type of attention from Stringer. Um, Bodie gets out of Bodie gets out. Levy gets Bodie out. Um, what were your thoughts on this court scene in terms of how how in terms of Levy and how they navigated that? Yeah. Um, I this this was tricky for me not to think about later seasons. So um, I feel like Levy. I mean, it's 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 another <laughs> it's another aspect of um, the process that um, Simon and the producers are laying out and the actors and everybody that's involved in, in, in shows and scene like this. Like it's the absolute hypocrisy of the legal system and how this show views the, the legal the legal system. Um, you on one end you have Levy and his um and his clerk slash co 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 uh co lawyer. That's probably not the right way to say it, but whatever. Um, right there, and they're organizing everything. And then you look on the other side, and it's one public defender who's overwhelmed by pay, paperwork and has a laundry list of clients to go to go through. Right, so it's it's a statement on like if you have the means, then you can provide yourself with a really good defense. And then it's very much overkill in a juvenile, um, in a in a in a juvie case or whatever. Um, at least to that judge's perspective, and that the way that those the courts hold and so um part of this business uh the drug business is being able to have uh appropriate defense for your clientele no matter how small they are because i would argue both we please he's nowhere near we um he, he like under d'angelo like like just barely noticeable he's not noticeable to anybody but the point being is that um, you gotta defend your group because if they start getting picked off, then they can then turn on somebody else who can turn on somebody else who can turn blah 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 blah. And that that domino. So that part of the Barksdale organization is really, really tight. Yeah, plus the fact that they deem him worthy to defend. That's why I, that's that's why I thought that was important as well. Just they stringer is like, no, this dude, he's you know, he he, I mean, it's a discipline to it, of course, but he, the fact, I, the fact that he identified that D'Angelo, not excuse me, that Bodie was worthy of that. It's kind of like he recognized what we would see later on in further seasons and what it just definitely, this def, that definitely was foreshadowing a lot of stuff with D'Angelo, with Bodie and, um, and uh, Stringer. Um, you have now, you have Bodie in the pit. He's back. He's on the phone. And he, this is when he slips up. He uses Stinkum's name. Stinkum reprimands him for it. And Lester um, hears it, because this is the payphone that they, of course, they have the wiretap on. Perez Maduski dismisses it, dismisses it as being non-pertinent. And, and then uh, you, know, you have Lester saying, no, we're building a case here. He, he shows uh, Perez Maduski the um, name. He makes a connection with Stinkum. Anton Arts and what have you, and the pager number puts that together, and he says all says that's when he says the epigraph and all the pieces matter. Prez, you know, fixes it and, and marks it as pertinent. Yeah, I spoke on this earlier. I mean, it's just it's just a, a great scene. It's a great scene, and it illustrates exactly what 
what the epigraph means. Um, and also, again, as we said, kind of like last week, this the the show is also a mirror of itself, <laughs> if if that makes any sense in terms of everything matters in the show. The show is building itself from scratch. It, all the it, so it's starting to it's starting to build. It's I mean it's already been building, so it's building upon itself right now. And so if you weren't paying attention, pay attention to everything that is going on in the show because it all matters. Also. This is important because he, he being Lester, is also teaching President Lewski on how to build a case, what to see, what to watch. It's, 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 school is in session here. Like he's, you know, you're talking about a 30 year veteran cop versus this, you know, guy who's, you know, on the come up, so to speak, and has is, is, is finally found something that he's, that, that he's into. So he, this is valuable not only valuable information for the case, but also valuable schooling to make Prez Wilewski, uh, uh that much valuable to the uh, detail and important to the detail. So I thought that was uh, important in terms of that particular scene. Yep. Uh, you have Bodie, Hark, Herc, and Carver. Of course, Herc and Carver are, are annoyed that Bodie, again, is out. Uh, they bang him on the corner when he's out. He, of course, shows him that he he was, he's out uh, legally, and um, and basically they have nothing. Um, they have nothing on him. Bodie, of course, rips the the, the juvenile system. They give him a ride home, and, and, and there you go with that. Again, nothing came out of them with Bodie. Like for like the umpteenth time through the first six episode, episodes, they're able to just get just nothing came about it. And he even, he even reprimands them on saying, if you talk to people, and I thought that was the most important part of the scene. He said, if y'all, he said, if y'all talk to people, instead of banging on niggas, you would know something. And I thought that that was a very critical line to police work and also just exposing them that much more on what they are as cops up until this point. Yeah, the, the line that, that cracked me up was when he was like, you know, I don't mean to uh, to say anything, but I, I'm just going to say the juvenile system <laughs> in Baltimore. <laughs> that, that had me, that had me uh, yeah, yeah, that was, that was real funny. That was real funny. Yeah, yeah. man, Bodie, 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 Bodie can, can spit them lines out. He really can. Yeah, and he knows, he knows that they have nothing on him. Like he he uh, he knows that, and then you know so, and they know that because they give me or they give him a ride into his house. They could easily been like yo walk your ass, you know walk your ass home or whatever. They was like all right whatever. Hurt to not hurt, but Herc was like whatever. Carver was you know the one that was getting the car numb nuts and they drive him drive him home to his grandmother's. Um, D'Angelo and Cassandra. So D'Angelo catches Cassandra, who is one of the, one of the little hoppers. Who was on the uh, who was on the stash and a part of the, the crew in the pit? He catches her coming out the grocery store or out the little corner market with groceries. Of course, you got you got to go back to the previous episode where Springer tells him to crack down to find to try to find the snitch in terms of paying them on a Friday. Cassandra's part of that crew, part of that crew. D'Angelo Buster and recognizes that. She wasn't snitching, but she was she was stealing 
and um, she was stealing vials, uh, drugs, and then giving them off. She had, she had a conspiracy with another another uh, one of the party of crew called named Sterling that they was they were stealing vials and selling selling them on the side and making extra money on the side. So he reprimands her and um, he just uh, you know smashes you know takes her eggs and throws them out throws them out of throws them out of the uh, bag and, and what have you. Um, what were your thoughts? I mean, this this is going to connect big time with uh, the scene that him and Wallace have in yes. the in the yes. pit, right? Right. Um, and so, so this this is showing um, how D'Angelo uh, would rather handle these things instead of the extreme violence. Like he's the opposite of the rest of them. Um, and how they how they wanted to handle the situation. We don't know all of his reasoning at this moment, so you're just kind of like you're just kind of watching the scene happen. Um, but uh, it it really makes sense when when we get to that that conversation with him and um, and Wallace. Yeah, no question about it. So now we get back to Bunk Landsman and Rawls. Rawls sees the paperwork from the cases that. Uh, yeah. That bunk that, that McNulty brought that, in. That McNulty, McNulty brought, brought in, in that he yeah. and bunk, that he and Bunk found out with the uh yep. that, that solved with the going back two episodes ago with the old cases and the Crescent murder. And he yells immediately for uh for McNulty. And this of course this leads to um Rawls wanting a quick arrest, wanting arrest and lump these all these cases in and not just not giving a shit about, you know. Of course, not giving a shit about the Barksdale investigation and their big picture. He figures, he figures, hey, I can get these, I can get these, you know, these are clear case, get some stats, and uh, and get my stat, get my numbers. Um, again, to your point earlier, McNulty brought this information yes, in, in his department, so it was not like Rawls was searching, seeking this information out. Nope. It was brought to his was it? It was brought to his doorstep. He reacts and shoved in his face. And shoved in his face. Yes. And shoved in his face, yes, without question. So he reacts like any boss would who wants to have a high clearance rate. Hey, I can clear some or, cases. Or, or just anybody would. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, I interrupted. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Um, yeah, no. Uh, this is, you know, at, at this point, like I said, like I, I came to a different resolution than I normally come with this this episode. So I'll get to that when, when we get towards the end. But at this point, I am clearly infuriated with McNulty um, because McNulty knows Rawls. He knows him. Um, and he knows even beyond, that's what I meant, even beyond how a boss would act, he also knows how Rawls will react to this. So. If you bring him casework and say we have the chance to solve some murders, Ross is going to jump all over that. Even at this early point in the season um, and in the series, you know, as memory point of the of the season. So this early point in in the series, you know how Ross is going to react. Um, and so that's that's kind of like what's always infuriated me. Um, Every time I watch this, I'm like, why would he do that? <laughs> it just doesn't, it didn't make any sense to me. Why would you do this? Uh, again, I think, I think I've actually come to, come to a resolution on that. 
and I don't like it any better. But anyway, point being, like at this point in time, I am furiously against what McNulty did because um, it's not smart and it puts the case in jeopardy and it's his fault. No question about it. Um, you have D'Angelo, Bodie, Poot, and Wallace. D'Angelo, of course, changes up the system. He moves, he demotes Sterling and Cassandra to, um, I think, lookouts, takes him off the stash, moves Wallace, moves Poot uh, to different positions. And, of course, they, they none of them have any idea on why he did this. Um, we know why he did this, of course, in regards to him catching Cassandra out the out the, the market earlier with you know with the extra groceries, knowing that she was knowing that she was stealing and also using somebody else to help her uh, steal by selling drugs on the side. Um, this I think this we can save this for <clears throat> the previous the uh, up and coming scene with him with he and Wallace because it'll be fully explained fully explained from that standpoint. Um, Good bit getting back to the detail. We have Daniels reprimanding Polk for uh, alcohol abuse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Polk. Yeah. Polk for just being an idiot, basically. <laughs> oh, not, not an idiot. That's, that's hard. Polk being who he is. Somebody who doesn't care anymore. Doesn't, doesn't right. care. No, no. He's at, yeah. He's, you know, he, it's nine o'clock in the morning. He's drunk as a skunk. Uh, the detail. <laughs> Freeman was like, you know, he's already he's already lit up at nine o'clock, and then McNulty, being the alcoholic that he is, says, or maybe the night before, <laughs> and then they're basically, you know, looking at him like a joke. He's at the point, Pope, especially since his other guy, his other, his you know, the other dude that he came in with, Mahomes is out of the picture. He just doesn't care uh, anymore. Um, Daniels lets him, you know, tries to. Uh, Daniels basically says, look, I'm not going to drop you. I want you, you know, you can either go out on these rooftops or dry yourself out or dry yourself out. And Daniels basically says, I know, uh, basically says, I know that you're an alcoholic. And, you know, Pope um, leaves the, uh, leaves the, leaves the room. Um, and that probably would, would be the last time we, the last we see a, a Pope I would anticipate uh, for this season. Um, in that same team, you also have Prez, and again, it was quick but important, Prez showing Daniels all the paperwork that is coming from this wire. And you can see that, you know, Daniels- They need a cabinet. Yeah, they need a cabinet, yeah. Yeah. And you can basically tell them Daniels, Daniels, in Daniels' mind, he knows that, in, you know, how deep they're getting is reaffirming that, yeah, he should continue to push off in his case reluctantly, he doesn't want to, but that, you know, that this case is just getting, it's just him showing them all that paperwork, Prayer showing them all the paperwork is just showing how big this case is getting, it's getting bigger and bigger without slowing down. So you have um, Gulk, Kima, McNulty, and Freeman. Um, Bonk basically lets, lets them know that Rawls is, is going to charge these murders for his stats. They better do something. They, they, better, get, they better make some moves quickly before he does. Um, McNulty's, McNulty's uh, annoyed, of course. You know, Rawls is an asshole, so on and so on. And what, what can Jay do? And Bonk says, you know, Landsman can't do anything on this. This is all about Rawls. Uh, Kima implores Bonk 
not bump, but of course, um, towards the, the entire team, uh, McNulty and Freeman to go to Daniels. And, you know, McNulty, of course, doesn't trust Daniels, doesn't trust Daniels to, to uh, fight for this case, to go all the way and, and to fight for this case. But at this point, Cuban basically says, you know, basically says we have no choice but to go to Daniels. And um, that's what they end up, that's what they end up doing. Go ahead, just because you also annoyed with Minotti from the standpoint. No, we're we're not we're not we're not we're not here at the point. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm I'm fully ignored with him all throughout this episode um, until we get to the end. Then 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 I have I have a, a rationalization for for how he's acting. That's the best way to put it. Because at this point in time, none of this makes sense to me. Um, and uh. And again, like I can't, I can't be on his side in terms of I don't trust anybody because in my head you did this to yourself, you did this to the unit. Um, so, so I'm yeah, I'm firmly against everything he's saying in this in this scene because keep, I'm like, nope, you did this. nobody else did this, you did this. Yes, keep this in mind, Freeman. And Kima don't do not don't know how Rawls got this information. They don't know that they don't know that McNulty brought the case brought that case to him. So keep that in mind as well. Yeah, no, McNulty's just being McNulty to them. Yeah, he's just just doing the same stuff he's always done. Uh, you have Bubbles, Johnny, Johnny, and another guy um, scamming some copper off a driver. Uh, Bunk, not bunk. Um, Johnny talks bubbles into this scheme that he's come up that he came up with. Um, they get the, they get they end up getting the uh, they end up getting the uh, getting the copper uh, through this through uh, through this scam where the guy runs seemingly runs McNulty, runs uh, runs Johnny over. He hits him hard enough because he was limping when they were doing running away. So he did hit him, but it wasn't. It's hard. Of course, it wasn't, you know, of course, lethal. Uh, Johnny has this fake can of uh, Campbell soup to make it look like his guts are coming out. They, while he's, while the guy, of course, is uh, consumed with um, with Johnny and trying to attend to him, you see Bubbles and the other guy get uh, get to get the copper and, of course, run away. And they they are off uh, on their way. Uh, what were your thoughts on on, on this thing? Yeah, I mean, like it's it's you know, bub it's it's sad. It's it's just a sad thing. I I can't I can't view it any any other way. Like it's played for a little bit of laughs. Like in terms of like, he, like Johnny, you know, has a plan and goofy Johnny and everything like that. But a it's another every time bubbles, you know, um, <laughs> I'm trying to think. Uh, again, yeah, that's why it's sad because it's just like bubbles. You want to you you root for him. You want him to do better, um, and so this is this is a backslide for him. Um, and uh, you know, Johnny's just a tragic figure to me. I can't view him any other way. He's just a tragic figure to me. Um, yeah. Bubbles wants 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 him to realize sometimes how inexperienced he is at this and how he should slow his roll. But again, you know, Bubbles goes right in with it. So yeah, I mean, like, like I, I know how part 
of me is supposed to take the scene as, oh, crackheads are going to be crackheads, but it's just sad. It just is sad all the way around. Um, and this is another time where it's, it's hard for me to separate what I already know um, and the emotional investment I've already given to, to these characters. Um, and in this instance, it's really, really hard. Every time I see Bubbles backslide, it's hard. It's hard. Yeah, I have some stuff on Bubbles for a later scene, which I'm gonna save for. Uh, which I'm gonna save on that. Um, Omar and McNulty. Uh, so Omar gets the uh, Omar contacts McNulty. McNulty earlier had left a card on Omar's van and wanted to get contact with him. Omar makes the call. He and he tells McNulty that uh, he wants to see the body, um, wants to see Brandon's body. So we'll, we can flush that scene out later too when, when, they, when they meet up. Um, Wait, no, I actually do have some things to say on this scene. <laughs> I have some things to say on this scene. Um, so yeah, this is my anti-McNulty uh, uh, episode. Um, but this, this doesn't have anything to do with the, the papers. Um, you can't bring your kids. <laughs> you, can't, you can't have Omar. You no, can't no, 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 you get So we have Bubbles, Johnny, and the other dude getting high after of course they they had negotiated the copper. And that was that 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 was <laughs> them trying to sell um hold on, because I might um get down. I might have, uh down here. Okay, no, no. Pause. Hold on, that because I, I missed a couple scenes. So let's go back. Bubbles. Let's go back to the um, the detail. So the detail they want. They want uh, Daniels to. The detail goes to Daniels about the case, and um, they want Daniels to go to Foster, who's the the older guy, who's above, who's a colonel, Colonel Foster, who's above Daniels who's above Daniels and um, about Ross. And Daniels, of course, is, is reluctant to, uh, to go, um, is reluctant to, uh, to go in terms of fighting for the case initially. Yep. I know it was a quick, yeah, it was, that, that was a, yeah, I know it was a quick yeah. scene. That, yeah. that, like there's that's gonna, that, like, that's we gotta get to that yeah. We gotta get to that instinct. Yeah, that that's setting setting in motion Daniels uh, fighting for yeah. the case. Uh, that's all that scene did. Um, you have uh, again, we talked about Bubbles and Johnny scam, uh, scamming off the uh, the copper. Now we have Avon, Stinkum, and Stringer going down to the pit. In the pit. In the pit to a music. Come on, music. Home, come on now. There should be all types of light bulbs flashing. Yeah, yeah. So they're going. They're going. No, no. Yeah, this, they're going to. This is so. Avon's walking with Stink with Stink yep. Stringer to a musical musical interlude. So it's kind of they're playing music over the scene mm -hmm. to show you. I, I guess to emphasize the fact that Avon is here. 
That's what you know, that's what that it's was. It's a big deal. Avon, the boss doesn't come down to no, the pit. No, it's a big boss. deal. So D'Angelo, he's going out to see D'Angelo. Uh, the only time that I've known that Avon throughout the course of the show that Avon was ever in the pit. Um, and of course, he's going to speak to D'Angelo. And of course, you have Santangelo missing the entire thing on the rooftop taking a piss instead of taking pictures. He misses, he misses everything that everything that happened. They're long gone before he even um, sees that uh, picks up the camera. So you had that part of it. You have Avon. And even when he picks up the camera, he's about to have a smoke. So he's yeah, not. About, yeah, he, was, he had no, yeah, he he had no, he was he was not even thinking about taking a picture. But he's like, yeah, taking a piss, take the piss, and then about to smoke a cigarette. Uh, to your point. So you have D'Angelo talking to Avon. Avon pays everybody that was a part. Of the of getting Brandon, get, uh, Wallace gets paid. The Angelo gets paid. They already paid. He already paid WeeBay and, and, and WeeBay for doing the muscle and up. And the uh, Angelo uh, Stringer asked D'Angelo about the the conversation earlier about catching a snitch and about that about early about earlier on in the season about two episodes ago. And D'Angelo, of course, does not tell doesn't tell doesn't say anything about it. Basically, um, says nothing has come up. And then you have, of course, them leaving out, them, uh, them leaving out. D'Angelo, Avon is happy with D'Angelo as far as getting uh, Brandon. And also he sees, he also sees all the, the traffic and the, of, uh, uh, he sees, he sees why they're making so much money in the pit. He sees, you know, sees all the action and traffic. So he's pleased, he's pleased by that. And, and then he gave, you know, gives, uh, D'Angelo basically uh, data boy and basically says that he keeps keeps it going like this. We'll be talking about points on the package. Um, turns him working for himself, similar to what he did with Stinkum in uh, the previous episode. So a lot to um, chew on with this scene. What were your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean the 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 major piece of it is uh, Santangelo missing the footage. Like that's what this scene is about. It's about the fact that if if you're not all the pieces matter, right? Like it, like you you got to be all, all the way up on a case like this. There's there's no slipping because the people that you're going against aren't going to be slipping either. And if they do, you got to be there. You have to be there to catch them. Um, and so the fact that um, you know, and this is why I said like nobody nobody from I don't blame anybody. From the Barksdale clue crew for not being worried about the police department. Because the, the police department that they know at this point in time in that show are not incapable of catching them um, in something as uh uh um as complicated as what they were doing. Um, particularly the higher up you are. Um, the cops weren't using the the Rico stuff against drug dealers. That was against the mafia and things like that. So, anyways, point being, like, like they they are very very inept at their jobs um, at, at this point in time. And so, the Santangelo piece just kind of like puts a puts a punctuation that in and then missing the murder in this episode shows like shows the idea of how. Um, much you need to be involved in something like this in order to bring in the case that they they want to bring in. Um, and that's a theme 
this is this is this is a huge thing because that's a thing that plays over and over and over again in the entire series. Like this is not just a one-time drop. Oh, this is something that just happens in this season. Like, no, this is a huge thing. And spoiler alert, they never get it right. <laughs> they just don't no, get it right. No, no. Um and for a variety of different reasons, and all the reasons are real, which is why people love this show as well. Um, that anybody who works in anything can can relate to all of the politics and the BS that goes into making decisions. Um, but anyways, this is much this is much less that and much more people not giving the level of attention in detail because they're not used to giving the level of attention in detail. Um, and so sitting on a roof all day, taking pictures of somebody, um, being on the phone doesn't matter to you unless you're somebody who can see all the whole picture or unless you understand that all the details matter. Yeah, uh, Santangelo, getting back to the epigraph of all the pieces matter, I, it felt like we hadn't seen Santangelo in like two or three episodes. I don't know if that's necessarily true, but that's what it felt like. So, you know, if he takes those pictures, it clearly is, is, a, is a game breaker for the case. They have pictures of Avon Stringer in the in the pit, and it that could ties just, it all together. Ties it all together. Yeah. Conspiracy and all types of stuff that they that they could tie all in. I mean, it's I it, 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 a it gives them a recent picture of Avon. That right. I mean, like that would be amazing in itself. It shows. Avon and Stringer together in a known drug market. Like it, it doesn't convict them, but no. it, 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 it puts a lot of running around to the side because they have the obvious evidence they will be able to show to a grand jury. Yeah, so that that was a big miss, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> in terms of missing, yeah. missing yeah, those pictures. Um, Bubbles. Yeah, Bubbles trying to sell the stolen copper for th on 30 cents. He's stolen copper to a construction somebody, a construction worker who knows he stole it. That's why he lowballed him with the offer of 30 cents a foot. He he makes the deal, the Bubbles makes the deal reluctantly. And of course, we continue to see the downslide, downslide and regression of one of one Bubbles. Um, during this episode, which we're continuing. I'm 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 gonna save my I got some bubbles material that I'm going to save for later on in, uh, in the episode, in his final scene in this episode. Um, anything to add to that? Mm, no. Right. So you have, you have Rawls and Daniels. Um, Daniels goes to Rawls, tries to convince him to change his mind about charging all, all the murders from the, from the Deja Crescent case. Um, all in one. Daniels, of course, had once says, tells, basically tells, tells Ross that this will compromise the Barksdale investigation if he charges all these murders with not having a lot of evidence. Ross feels, again, Ross wants his stats. Ross also thinks that he can, he can um, convict D'Angelo for this, that he can get D'Angelo for this. But Burrell, not Burrell, Daniels tells him that we've already gotten him in the box twice and he's gotten out both times. Um, so they go back and forth with that. Rawls, the Daniels makes one last plea to Rawls. Rawls, of course, refuses at that point and, um, you know, refuses to change his mind at that particular point. 
what were your thoughts? Um, you know, this this is this is kind of um anybody's experience who's in middle management, low to middle management, trying to get your boss to do something that they don't necessarily want to do. Um, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of common sense that already like in order to step in that meeting and to have anything to say, you have to be right. Like that's that's the entry into a meeting like that. You can't there can't be anything on your side that is wrong. So you have to be in the right. So he knows he's in the right. That's not what this is about. This is about convincing his higher up who's overall to do something that neither one of them, <laughs> that nobody in there actually really wants to do. This is not popular. And, um, and uh, uh, what's his name? Why am I blanking on his name? Um, yeah, Burrell. Yeah, this is, Burrell clearly states this. He's like, I'm no fan of this. I'm spending X amount of money on this. For oh, no, what? This is just, not Burrell. Burrell's not in the scene. This is just Rawls and Daniels. Oh, uh, okay. See, I, no, I'm, I keep combining. I'm combining yeah. scenes. Today. It's just Rawls and Daniel. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. When he just goes in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, then, yeah, then that's just the first part of that. Daniels goes in there to, to, goes in there to try to reason with him. But in order to reason, order to be able to go in there, he knows he's correct in what he's going to say. So I'll leave that part of that. You have uh, Bubbles. Johnny and the other guy getting high at the cash in from the copper heist. And to me, I, you know, with Bubbles, it was like somebody like, first, first of all, I think a crackhead is a crackhead from that standpoint. Like he's still a crackhead at the end of the day. I think, it, you know, we saw him doing some good work early in the season with Kima and McNulty and how valuable he how valuable he was in terms of knowing the street and, you know, the hat technique and, and all that. But then at the end of the day, he's still a crackhead. And I think that he, I think that Bubbles, his regression was that he had nothing to do as far as um, they hadn't given him any recent assignments in terms of, oh, you need to look out for Avon, you need to look out for this person, that, that person. I think that once I think somebody like Bubbles, you had to keep, and and rightfully so. They're not going to have he's not a cop and what have you. He's just snitch. So they're gonna they they they're gonna pull him on demand when they realize when they think they need him. So that's not even realistic for them to have consistent work for him. But it just goes to show you that it doesn't didn't take a lot for him to for, for him to regress. Like when he over the course of the first six episodes, when he was working with them, he was on the straight for the most part, or for him, or not going too heavy into the drugs. But once he once there was any separation from the cops and from Kima and from that, you know, security blanket with Minoti, he immediately goes back into being at this point in stage in the series what he is, and that's a crackhead. Yeah. I, like I said, like I, I know that's the direction they want us to go in. I just I can't go there. It's it's yeah. I it's sad when bubbles backslides. Just. Yeah, yeah, no, it is definitely sad. Uh, also, Johnny uh, gets arrested, um, and Bubble says, "You know, no luck for that boy." And you know, again, some more added pain for Bubbles. Uh, 
if you're Johnny, probably chill out. You had one good idea. You got your drugs. Just, just enjoy. Just calm down. Don't. Johnny was trying to do too much. Johnny, you know, Johnny wants to go and think of another. You know, he want to go go back on the street. Back on the street. Just, just celebrate your win. Get high and keep it moving. You like Johnny at that point. He was trying. You know, he was. He had one good idea that worked out. Probably maybe his only one good idea in the whole series that that worked out. Spoiler alert. <laughs> he couldn't even he couldn't even uh enjoy that properly without uh screwing it up. But which told you about you know the character, which told you a lot. It continues to tell you a lot about Johnny and about, you know, just how you know fucked up his life is and and uh him being the lesser of the two crackheads between him and Bub- Bubbles, clearly. Um D'Angelo Wallace in the pit, uh D'Angelo tells Wallace why he demoted Cast and Sterling. Um, there's, there's a clear, of course, he demand, we talked about it earlier, demand, they demoted them because they were stealing and, and stealing on the side. They were not snitching. Now, that, that's the clear, that's, I think, the important distinction. Initially, uh, Stringer, Stringer thought that there was, uh, or was telling D'Angelo, we think, me and your uncle think there's a snitch in your crew. It wasn't snitching his crew. They were just stealing. Um, they were just stealing bios and selling them on the side. And D'Angelo was. <laughs> <laughs> that's all. That's, that's, all. A, that's a. That's a bit. Yeah. That's a. That's big a. Deal. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. That 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 would have got them killed. That would have got them killed. That's, no. That, that 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 that's a big deal. <laughs> that might be. That, that might be as, almost as bad as the actual snitching. They that, that's bad. You know, they're stealing. They're stealing their own product. Um, and Solomon, so, yeah. so yeah, no so, blame. No. D'Angelo um, saves them from the higher ups and uh, demotes them. He tell he confides in Wallace about this. Doesn't doesn't tell anybody else. Um, but the, he told Bodie and Pooh, but he doesn't tell them why he demoted them. That's what I said. He told Wallace why he demoted them. He didn't tell anybody else why he demoted them. Uh, so you see this ongoing and developing relationship between. Wallace and uh, D'Angelo unfolding, you know, right before your eyes. What do you think about? Um, what do you think about that scene? Yeah, um, this this is a good scene, and it's 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 a lot, and it's a lot of subtext in here, at least for me. Um, D'Angelo and Wallace are connected in terms of how they perceive what is going on around them. Um, D'Angelo just has a little bit more responsibility and is a little bit more connected to, not a little bit more, I mean, connected very closely to Avon and knows what's expected of him. Um, Wallace is just a kid who's just out there. He's just a kid. That is just that simple. He's just a kid. Um, trying to survive. And so both of them have, I think I probably put it like empathetic souls. Like like they uh, feel other people's pain. That's basically the bottom line of, of, of empathy. Um, not necessarily the best trait to have in the game that they're in, no. um, but no. n- nonetheless, they both have it. Um, Wallace Wallace, Wallace is 
extremely upset by what he saw. And in the moment when Wallace is verbalizing how upset he was, this is in the beginning, um, D'Angelo, because he's out in the middle of the pit and everything, he can't show that type of empathy to Wallace in that moment. There's too much, too many eyes on them at that point in time. And he honestly is feeling himself. He, he came out, he's, 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 he's looking good to himself. He, he has the girl he just came back from. So he's feeling himself. He's, yeah. he's feeling the power and position and, and the, the, the privilege that having, that being as highly connected as him is given. And so, so in that scene, the earlier scene where he's just like, yo, just get over it. Just, um, you know, just forget about it. There's a lot that is in those words. The first part that's in those words is just like, yo, eyes are on you, homie. You can't show weakness out here. Yeah. You just can't do it. So that's number one. Number two is, um, you know, like, we, this is what you think was going to happen. This is, this is the life we end. It sucks. You just got to bury it. Just don't think about it. You know, it's just probably more what he was trying to do in that moment because he was feeling himself and just like in terms of, you know, I'm the boss. I got to give the harshest advice. That's that's number three in there. All those walls fall down in this scene. All those walls fall down because, like I said, D'Angelo is an empathetic character. He can't live. With, he can't stay with that. He can't stay with that. He, he knows how things like that affect him and have affected him throughout the series. And so that conversation with Wallace was a mea culpa, um, was him saying, I hear you, I understand you. Now let me explain to you why I'm not that asshole that was yelling at you in there. Um, because every other soldier, every other soldier fucks them up <laughs> for stealing their yes. The stuff, like every like that there is literally no that that is that is one on one of any criminal enterprise. You don't steal the merchandise. <laughs> that is a, and if you do, it's heavy repercussions. That's that is, you know, base bottom line. Any of mafia, drug, whatever, whatever. Um that is that is base bottom line. You definitely don't repackage it and start selling it off as your own. That's a no no. Um so yeah, they should be beat up at the very least, dead at the most. And what D'Angelo is saying is, I took care of it because I didn't want to see that type of violence. I don't like that type of violence. That's not me. That's not what I'm about. What you saw, what out there was not okay. That's not anything that I that I'm about. And so, um, and so he was also trying to comfort Wallace. You know, like. Maybe there is a different way to play this game. Maybe I can show a more compassionate way of, of playing this game. Fools, a fool's errand, but that in that scene, that's what he's trying to do. Um, or that's part of what, what he's trying to do. I'm also being a little bit delusional um, as well. So, yeah, that, that's, it's a big one. It's a big one. It's one that, that I truly, truly appreciate and enjoy. Um, because of the complexity of it, everybody that's involved in doing something like that is operating at a very high level. Yeah, I mean, it was a 
it was a big episode for D'Angelo. Like you said, he we didn't mention it earlier, but he has a new girlfriend. Um, he, like I said, he gets a, that he gets not promoted, but he gets uh, you know get, gets congratulated by gets the approval of Avon, which is you know important to him. Um, and he keeps a couple of his underlings from being, uh, you know, from being taught, from being abused, or from being uh, just beaten down by uh, by hiding by hiding information uh, from the powers that be about the, you know about the death. So a lot of things going on for D'Angelo in this episode, uh, you know, episode that he. Well, know, just oh, really quickly. The expectation from the powers that be would have been that he handled it. That would have been the expectation. So that's part of that conversation. He's saying implicitly, I don't want to do things that way. Right. Because those are his people. Those are his appointees. Avon and Stringer would have been like, you handle it. They're not sending Rebay and Bird and everybody to handle that. So... So that's the that's the big part of that. It's not just him saving them; it's him saying, "I don't want to do it that way." Yes. Um, he uh, moving on to Omar uh, McNulty and McNulty's children. <laughs> so, so McNulty takes a call from Omar earlier. Uh, he agrees to show Omar the body. Uh, for his own reasons, but along the way, he has his kids with him. He takes mm-hmm. his kids. Oh, he, sorry. He, takes his, he takes his. He meets Omar the morgue, takes his kids on an, on a school night to the <laughs> to the morgue with him. They're sitting in the lobby, or whatever, with a soccer ball, playing video game, a video game, and McNulty shows the body to Omar. Omar, of course, is just besides himself over seeing um, seeing the body, seeing him that way. Again, the the eye gouged out and just knowing that they, they tortured him, um, tortured Brandon. Um, he, you know, yells, just yells to the top of his lungs. Um, and at this point, he's just, he's just enraged. You know, he's in a, uh, he he's completely enraged and that's this what leads to him uh working this leads to him working with um the police you wanted to say something about uh mcnulty well i mean it's it's just like all right so slow down we don't we don't even have to make this one that complicated we don't we don't even have to go into complicated emotions this is this is parenting this is responsibility one-on-one you do not bring uh a you do not bring your kids with you with a uh, with someone who robs drug dealers to the morgue to see their dead lover. Like you just got like those all bad, all bad, all bad, all bad. No, bad, <laughs> bad decision making, Jimmy McNulty in every step of that. I get what you're doing as a policeman, and all that is fine as a policeman, but your kids can't be with you while you're doing any of that. It doesn't matter. You either don't do it then, or you find a much safer, insaner place for your kids to be. Um, so, yeah, 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 yeah. I know what that situation is supposed to invoke. You know, he's all about the case, doesn't matter, everything like that. 
But um, just from a human being standpoint, nah, not not great choices. And then also like the later arguments that he has with his ex-wife. Um, yeah, she wins. No, no, she, she, she definitely, she definitely, <laughs> she, she wins. Not, was, not responsible. She, she not was, responsible. That's not a good the, idea. Don't she do clearly that. was the uh, better parent. <laughs> <when I was. laughs> yeah, so, don't do that. Bad. Understand why she won't let him see them as much, see them even more than you know. We understand why he he's only getting a certain amount of time to spend with his kid. With his kid. I mean, but, you know, uh, the reason why is because he cheated on her. Well, that's I, the main reason why. That's, but yeah, that's, that's the, why the, the anger and the vitriol. But in terms of winning any parent of parent argument of they like her questioning him about the um the bunk beds like do you have beds for them he's like of course i have beds. like no 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 you don't get to do no more of courses anymore because it would could easily be a question uh uh mcnulty should you ever take the kids with you to the morgue to visit the dead body of uh of a drug dealer robber um in the middle of the night and of course i wouldn't do that like no uh -uh. no more courses for him everything is on the table now everybody gets to ask every question of you it's all fair game because that was that was bad parenting no question about it um daniels goes to forrester to get help um forrester of course is the colonel force colonel forrester is above daniels but forrester wants no part of, of trying to go tip or tat with Ross, forces like I like my career. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna help you. So, <clears throat> I'm not gonna help you. So this is the second time in the episode that Daniels has been rebuffed in terms of trying to save his case and trying to um, trying to save his case and get another another month in terms of being on those on the phone lines. Uh, we that's gonna be connected to a later scene. Uh, with Daniels, Burrell, and, and Rawls as, as well. So, any thoughts on that? No, just like you said, it's, it's another scenario of of of, uh, of Daniels trying to go and, and figure out a, a way in which to approach Rawls um, with some more ammo than just being right. Omar, Kima, McNulty, they are down in the detail. Of course, Fresh Freeman and, uh, is listening as well. He's sitting over at his desk. Um, Omar tells Kima that uh, Bird killed Gant and that he would be willing to, uh, to testify that seeing Bird, Bird killing Gant, he also, um, they also in this scene put together uh, the fact that, put together the pager, the pages that were going out the previous night and make that connection to, to the murder of, of Omar's, Omar's boyfriend. Uh, Freeman makes that connection. Freeman's listening to the conversation. Things connect in his head. He starts to look at some of the paperwork and he pulls McNulty over the, for the side, to the side from the, from, from the conversation with Omar. So, and they basically hash out the fact that this, that uh, that these pages were the murder when they, you know, were the murder when they made the calls and made the stringer and the D'Angelo and, and and to the Greeks and to that, and they they know at that point that if they would have been on one of those phone lines, uh, they would have had the tie. They would have had the they would have had the murder if they if they would have had a wiretap in those phone lines in the pit. Uh, McNulty, of course, is is uh, you know 
gives give Daniels an earful saying that we never where we were supposed to where we're supposed to be. Uh, we were up on those phone lines. We would have had the entire murder. We would have had the murder from that standpoint. And he just lays the evidence out there on uh, Freeman's, not Freeman, on Daniels' desk. Daniels doesn't say anything. Um, and Nolte walks out, walks out of the office. And of course, I mentioned earlier that Omar, the big piece is that Omar is willing, is lying about the fact that he saw Bird um, shoot Gant. Of course, we remember Gant being killed the first episode of the first episode as the uh, state's witness. What were your thoughts on the scene? Lot to lot to lot to chew on for this particular scene. I mean, the, it's it's fairly straightforward. Like this is one of the ones where you know I'm I'm fine with Luke Nolte because he was right um, on this one. He's actually right. If 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 they're up on the wire, then they they have they have that 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 goes in the overall theme of the show in terms of always being late because of the the nonsense. Um, so uh, that part, I, I mean, like I think the best part of this 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 scene. Or for me, it was just when Omar at the very end just goes, uh, bad time for y'all. Um, uh, when McNulty, when McNulty storm, storms out. Um, we, we know how important the, the mm, um, even that, I mean, like the Gantt thing and, and all of that. I mean, like, we, we know it's going to play, it's, it's going to continue to play a role for a little bit now. Um, so, uh, you know, basically, the this is they they have Omar will willingly cooperating with them, which is bad for the Boxdale organization. Yeah, a couple of things. Yeah, the fact that you have Omar willing to cooperate. Also, you this is going back to what we spoke about earlier that the Barksdale is going too far as far as how they tortured and killed Omar's boyfriend. Yeah. Uh he so Omar is a man of ethics and code. And you know he's he he's crazy. He's he's a killer and what have you, and all those things. But he still he still believes in a code. He still believes in there are there are ways to play this game. There are ways to do things. He him going to the police tells you that he believes that the that the Barksdale's has completely violated any rules of this game because normally he would not go to the police. Like that wouldn't even be, they, he wouldn't be talking to the police like that. So that that line to him has been crossed. So if they're crossing a line, then he's willing to cross a line to uh, get retribution and, and revenge. And the second piece is the information that he gave out on Bird's gun and yep. um, giving them telling them about Bird. Like he was, he's saying he's too dumb to toss it off. That was, that's important, and we'll you know that'll be discussed in further episodes. But those are the two parts to me that kind of stood out about that uh, particular scene uh, with Omar willing to basically violate his own code because he felt like, you know, the bar sales have gone too far. Um, Rawls, Burrell, and Daniels, um, they're in Burrell's office. Daniels, again, is trying to fight for his case. Um, he knows that, and he knows that they charge all the murders together. That that's going that that's going to mess up his case. That and Barksdale will change things up, and they probably will lose anyway in court. Rawls does not care. Rawls is willing to take take the risk, um, willing to take that risk because he doesn't care about the Barksdale investigation. Burrell is concerned about the budget. 
he goes and saying, I'm spending $2,000 over the budget with this wiretap. Of course, we know Burrell hasn't been a part, hasn't been on board with this from the start. Um, and basically, Daniels, you know, steps out of his comfort zone, says that this is bullshit. Um, he says, and he, he's very, he was very convincing. I think this is the part that convinced them to change their mind, saying that if you're right, if you're right, you have, you have the case anyway. You know, you have the case anyway. If you're wrong, then you, you know, then this is going to blow up. This is going to completely blow up my case. Like you can, he basically told Burrell, he basically was telling Rawls, you have nothing to lose on this because we, you can push back those charges, those murders and still, you know, basically clear your stats. He said, so he's basically telling him, I have everything to lose. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. And they acquiesce there as we see, you know, as we see as the episode ends, they acquiesce to that decision and he gets yeah, don't don't skip don't skip to okay. the end. There's too much there's too much to be said in the end. Oh go, no, we're not saying um, go ahead. No, go ahead. So I'm I'm I'll since since I started to early rate on this, I'll I'll try a different tack on it. I'll kinda like I'll break it down between between the three of them. Um from Daniel's perspective, you gotta remember the key scene that happened before was after the murder um or after they figure out that they had on the murder uh mcnulty walks into the office and lays the picture down and says that's on you and then daniels looks at that looks the picture so before this was more of an intellectual exercise for him now this is starting to feel more personal in terms of lives are on the line here that's how we're supposed to ha- that's how we're supposed to take that interaction bleeding in to to this scene there's a more of a moral argument that's going to be be behind his back um Rawls does not give a shit about that Rawls hates jimmy mcnulty with every good reason to hate him and for jimmy mcnulty to hate him back um Rawls does want to tear down this case because Jimmy went behind his back and got the judge to do what he wanted to do. Um, so all Rawls can see is vengeance and, and just like and just like it doesn't matter. I'll give any logic to put a stop to this because Jimmy's the worst. Um, and Burrell just doesn't like none of this is anything that he wants at all. Like any of this, he doesn't care about Rawls petty beef with Jimmy. He doesn't care about Daniels because Daniels has no political sway or anything like that. His case is costing him money. This is not a good, this is not a good look for him at all. And so to your point, what Daniels does is he brings the rational argument into the situation. And this is the key part of it. He throws Rawls off by enraging him further by letting both him and Burrell know it was McNulty that came in and told me that you were going to do this and that you were going to, um, and told me not to back off the case. So it was your guy in your department that is telling me to do that. So he stops Rawls right there because Rawls is so enraged. He's so enraged at, in that moment because he thought Jimmy was coming back home. Cause remember when Bunk asked McNulty, because um, way back in the beginning of the episode, McNulty's like, 
Yeah, Rawls told me blah blah blah, but I can't bring this. This case is starting to take off. Take off. I can't be back in a week's time. And Bunk goes, "Did you tell Rawls?" And Jimmy says, "No." So when, uh, when Daniels hits him with that information, it's strategic because it's the first time he's ever hearing this. In Rawls's mind, Jimmy's coming back home, so that stops him right in his track. So not only does he bring the logical argument, as you pointed out but he also expertly deals with Rawls and he does all that because he is now back from a internally from a moral place because now he's seen the consequences of the Barksdale's actions no question about it it was well played but it was well played by Freeman not Freeman by Daniels uh even his outbursts it was like he had to show some type of emotion in terms of that he was willing to fight for this case and not just go the company, not just do the company line. So I think that they, you know, think that he, uh, I think that he did did everything he wanted to do, accomplished everything he wanted to accomplish in that particular scene and was, you know, was real smart and crafty about it. Um, You have uh, Santangelo and Rawls, at this point, Rawls is all out, all in on wanting to get Jimmy McNulty. He basically tells Santangelo, is he drinking? I want to know everything he's doing. Uh, I don't care. I don't care what it is. I want to know what about Jimmy McNulty. Um, Santangelo, of course, is reluctant to say anything. Uh, Santangelo basically says, you know, all he does is work. Like that, that's what, that's what Santangelo says. All he does is do doing police work in the case. So at that point, uh, Santangelo doesn't have anything on McNulty of consequence. And uh, they leave that scene there. Um, any quick thoughts on that? Just, that just further shows how enraged uh, Ross was right. that piece of information. So last scene, you have McNulty, Ross, Daniels, uh, not Ross, McNulty and Daniels in the detail. Um, Daniels tells them that uh, the cases, the murder warrants were put on hold. Um, McNulty looks a little bit surprised. And I thought important last words of the, of the episode, Freeman asked Dick to Daniels. Did it cost you? So I thought those were some very important last words and to no response. He just, Daniels just gives him a look and the episode ends. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, I have a lot to say. So any anything you need no. to say, jump in right, right now. Oh, go ahead. All right. Okay. So, um, yeah, uh, when, when we talked before the episode, I told you I had a lot to say about McNulty, and I had a lot to say about the beginning, and I had a lot to say about the end. Um, so there, there's a couple of points that uh, I think I need to make before I launch into to what, what, I'm going to, what I'm going to say. Um, I think that up until this point in time, McNulty has shown himself to be willing to do anything for his case. 
I think before this episode, what that meant was he was willing to piss people off, which could be an admirable uh, trait. You're willing to buck up against authority, buck up against the man, the system, whatever, for what you believe is right. I think in this episode, he jumped the shark. I think, uh, uh, but which is a good thing moving forward because he becomes a much more emotionally rich and complex character, as we'll see in later seasons. Um, he is the instrument of his own destruction, period. Um, this thing that he loves about himself, only caring about cases, he, now I am jumping a bit ahead, but not in any great detail, just, just in overarching um, uh, philosophy of him, he says it himself. The thing that makes me good about working cases is the thing that makes me a horrible person. That makes me very bad at life. Um, and so, anyways, that but that this this episode really highlights highlights that that thing. Again, the kids, I we joked around about it, but that was bad. That was bad. That was really really bad. That's not okay. It's not okay. That's because your case your case should never be more important than your kids. Period. In the story, there is no debate on that. There is no debate on that. That is a defect of character, what he's doing. He's using Omar's emotional attachment and very real pain and angst to bolster his case. That is a character defect. He does it because he wants to win and he knows he can, he can do it, but that is a key character de defect. The thing that I'm laying out, and when I saw this, really and kind of got this for the first time it entrenched in my mind that the jimmy mcnulty character is a manipulative mother effort and so now i'll lay out what what i saw differently than 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 i had seen in the past i had always viewed mcnulty giving those files to rawls as a mistake on Jimmy Minolte's part. And like I said, for most of the episode, I went right back to that place and I was enraged with McNulty. I'm like, this is your fault. At the end of the episode, you says he looks at Freeman. I don't, I didn't notice him looking at Freeman, but what I did notice more this time than ever was that he stops. After he puts his jacket on, he looks at the picture of, um, of Brandon's body that McNulty had brought in there when he said, this is on you. And he said those words specifically, and I remember them this time. So, so I now submit to you that he brought those files into Rawls on purpose because he knew Rawls would take the case. And then he did that as a test for Daniels. He was testing Daniels. He was manipulating the situation in which Daniels would have to prove if he's willing to fight for it. And then he got more ammunition with, um, with Brandon's death in the photo that he could then get, get into Daniels. Now, I think the show wants us to see this, especially at this point in time, as a, as a heroic trait of McNulty. Again, he's willing to do this to push the case forward. He's willing to outsmart his his bosses, he's willing to outsmart his unit commander and everything like that. But there is a direct race dynamic in this that I cannot ignore. A white man and a black man, and one who's in charge and how he's undercutting him. If Chad were here, he'd probably go into a much more vitriol-based <laughs> um, uh, 
statement on this. So I won't go, I won't go specifically there, but I will say that it's interesting how that is how that this is portrayed as a as a character uh, uh, a positive character trait, and even in the language that we use, like uh, with McNulty, like um, uh, uh, Daniels is willing is willing to play along the game and play along. Said, no, 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 no. Everybody's doing their job. The only thing that paints them negative is in contrast to McNulty. McNulty's the one saying this person isn't doing that. This person isn't doing this. This person isn't doing that. But it is because he doesn't like their reaction to something. And then he's willing to manipulate you into a reaction that you want. I argue that's not a good character trait. And I argue that his perception is not the perception we need to view the prism of the show from. Like he is not any more of a virtuous character than a Bubbles. He's absolutely as tragic as Bubbles, and he's absolutely as tragic as Bubbles' boy. The thing that makes him good is the thing that makes him horrible. <laughs> like, like it's those those two types of things. It's the same dynamic, which is why I said, like, there's no, like, looking at Bubbles and his boy is just crackheads. It's sad. The thing that makes them good people or the thing, the ingenuity that they come about goes to self-destructive things. Same thing with McNulty. The ingenuity that he has for these cases, the insight that he has for these cases are bring about very bad circumstances for those around him and are ultimately very self-destructive for him. Um, and so just this, this again, it was, it's, 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 I was thinking to myself as I was watching this show, um, I, I had a bunch of different thoughts. I was like, oh, I got to watch The Wire because it was like I hadn't watched the episode and I had lost track of time. It was like very close to when the show was going to start. I was like, oh, I got to watch it. I'm like, oh. And then as soon as it came on, I was like, and then the opening scene, I'm like, this is really good. <laughs> I love watching this show. And then I was just having the thought, like, it's such a privilege. Like, all throughout the show, I'm like, it's a privilege to watch this show. It's that good. It's a privilege. Like, every time I'm sit down and come away from the show, I think in a different way that I thought before that. And that's a very rare thing in anything, particularly in a, in a TV show. And so um, while I may sound very angry and agitated, I'm not, I'm actually very excited because I love when I get to experience any piece of art, honestly, and come away with something different than the last time. And so this is very exciting for me um, because as you know, I analyze everything anyway. Um, it's very exciting for me to come away from watching this episode from something very, very different than what I had previously held there. Um, but that still doesn't change that the fact that the Jimmy McNulty character is very, very manipulative. Um, and yeah, I mean he, very, no, he was not he, not a character, not a character trait. But but what I'm saying is, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's manipulative in it in, in that scene. But again, we like we I feel like we're doing like a separation of characters. Rawls is over here if he's a bad guy. Daniels is right in the middle. He's a company man. Jimmy McNulty fights against the system. 
Bubbles is a piece of crap unless he's like doing X, Y, and Z. And what I'm saying to you is no. Throw all of those archetypes out the window because that's not what this show is about. And that's what this episode shows you is that the people in this show are not good, bad, anything indifferent. They're very flawed for lack of, 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 of one, specific, one specific dynamic. Bubbles is just as flawed as Jimmy. Jimmy is just as flawed as Bubbles. And Bubbles and Jimmy are just as flawed as Homeboy. Because they all make silly, dumb, stupid mistakes that a third-person observer would go, nope, you shouldn't do that. Yet they do it, and they have their own reasons for doing it. And the same reasons that they do it are um, very self-destructive in character. I would actually argue all the characters are set up like this. There is no difference between Stringer Bell and D'Angelo Barksdale. There's no difference at all. They all set up their ultimate destruction. There's no difference between Avon to Stringer to D'Angelo and everything like that. Anyway, that's what makes this, this, uh, this show so rich and, and, and so um, important. Um, I will come back to those arguments later as we progress through seasons because certain things aren't understood right now. But that Jimmy Nolte one, that's very understandable right now because it happened in this episode. No, I mean, he, he was manipulating he was manipulating people and situations and circumstances throughout the course of the episode. Like, we, that's, that's without question. Like he knows he knows how Rawls is going. No, he doesn't know anything. He, I mean, like, yeah, he knows Rawls is going to take the case, but he doesn't know Daniel's reaction. No, no, that's no. That's the horrible part of it. That's no. the horrible part of it. Is you when you manipulate somebody just to see how they'll react to a circumstance. That's that's the definition of manipulation. And that's ugly. That's not a that's not a positive characteristic. And even I like even with Omar, I I um I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you about that scene in terms of do you show oh, do Did you, I feel? Do you know, do you show do you show Omar like was it wrong for McNulty to show Omar the body? That's why I was going to ask. You. I meant that. That's why I, I meant to put that on the list in terms of questions I was going to ask. You. Do you think it was wrong for him? To but show there's him? kids there absolutely. No, no, forget the kids. That's forget the kids. Can't forget kids. the kids. That those, well, no, those, I'm those saying, even, together. You can't forget the kids. It that's what makes it such an ugly ugly scenario. He was going to do it anyway, and he was going to do it, be his kids there, be damned or not. Just as a procedural part of police work, yes, you show the body. Should McNulty have done it? No, because it wasn't his case. Like, like the people who were working the case call the next of kin. Now, they never would have been able to identify Omar. So... They, the, the two complement each other. I'm not saying anything is black and white in this show. Absolutely not. Those policemen would have never, ever, 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 ever been able to identify Omar as somebody that was connected to Brandon and somebody that cared for Brandon. Never would have been able to make that connection. So Omar, it, who knows how long it would have been until he found out. Not very long because he has his ears to the street. But McNulty did not show... Omar the body out of caring for Omar and no. Omar knowing the no. friend. He showed him the body because he knew he would get an emotional reaction out of out of 
Omar, and that could potentially help his case. Omar could have still said, F you, Jimmy, I'm out of here. So that's what I'm saying. That's ugly. That manipulation is ugly for that exact thing. You set somebody off in a bad space, not even knowing their reaction. Um, so should he have, it's consistent with his character that he would do it. It's what? consistent with his character. It is consistent with I, somebody, having somebody identify a body is at a family member, somebody close to the victim is absolutely part of the process and absolutely natural. Nothing wrong in that. Um, it just made it extra ugly. He was the one who did it and how he did it. Yeah, I like even watching this episode, just learning things, learning new things that you hadn't, hadn't seen through the first, say, 100 times you've seen an episode. It is remarkable. It is like, it is the epitome of high, of the highest level of art. Like you can look at a picture, you can go to a museum, look at a picture, you might look at it, you might get a different viewing of it each time you see it. If it's that, if it's that, if it's that level of art, and we're talking about like a Michelangelo or Vincent Van Gogh, somebody like that. So that, you know, that's the brilliance of this show, that it's something new every time you watch the episode. I can watch the episode again today and find something new. And, uh, and different about it, um, about the episode. What were your thoughts on the last, the final words when Freeman said, ask Daniels, ask, ask him, it cost you? Did it cost you? Yeah, that, that, that changed for me as well because usually, or in seasons that are coming, when they talk about what it costs you, it's usually about a political something you gave up something political you gave up you, you gave you have a favor that you are or you gave up a higher rank or you gave up you know or you've been busted down low somewhere so i always thought that's what freeman was talking about when when i looked at when i looked at that scene scene and i always thought that maybe there was something else that he gave up to rawls and burrell I'm still not certain that's not the case. I'll be I'll be looking through these next episodes very closely to see if there's something that was unsaid that happened. I had just assumed that. Now though, especially noticing him looking at that picture at the very end, I think I definitely don't think Freeman meant it this way. But what he lost was um, the ability to what what he lost was the ability to just it be a case it just be something that he does that's the loss in in this like looking at that picture it's like that is it's the it's juxtaposed the reaction of wallace that's the that's the daniel's reaction of wallace wallace was horrified by what he saw and it will change him in it will change him forever change him as a character Daniels was horrified by that picture and it has now changed him as a character. He will now not be able as his, as his now wife keeps trying to consult him on, just keep it as a job, just keep it as, you know, a, a way to boost your career, to get into this and that. He won't be able to now on. And that's the very beginning of it. That's how I took that this time. And for the audience, um, you could put a bookmark next to that. And like, there's a reason why those scenes 
where there's a reason why the why the uh, Wallace scene was the opening scene, the Daniel scene was the ending scene. That's not those like those two characters were supposed to beginning begin and end this episode. There's a reason why for the, there's a there's an exact reason why um, why that was the case because seeing you know seeing the Brandon picture. You know, like you said, seeing the Brandon picture for Daniels and seeing the Brandon dead body for Wallace, uh, so put a book. You can bookmark that. Those, you know, you can bookmark those two scenes, that beginning and that ending, uh, for a reason. Uh, who's your MVP? Hello. Yeah, sorry, my connection is unstable. I was about to. <laughs> it's it's being it's being very weird. I repeat that last one. Who was your MVP of the episode? So, um, I'm going to go with. Oh wow, this is this is a good one. I I've been so annoyed with McNulty this entire episode. <laughs> um, uh, I'm going to go. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna go McNulty's my MVP. Okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna do that because because uh, I was so emotionally involved in all of his actions throughout the episode, um, which is not always the case um, for me. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna give I'm gonna give him the MVP because of that uh, because of that aspect. Um, just in terms of inside the show, though, um, I'm giving uh, D'Angelo the MVP. I oh, loved, wow. loved, loved his conversation with with Wallace. Um, and you know, uh, we'll talk about it in further episodes. I believe he tried to save Wallace, and this, this was one of those ways in which he tried to push him away from this. From this life um again we'll we'll talk about it a little bit more but yeah that's that the, if in the infamous words of uh kevin durant that's the real that's the real mvp d'angelo um i had yeah. i had daniels um i thought that that's he cool. kept fighting for the case he goes you know goes to ross he goes to foster then he goes to burrell um and he goes against his better judgment initially and he goes against who his character has been up until this point like you said like you said earlier this was a shift for the for this was a shift in character moving forward for daniels so the daniels you see now is is was further changed for you know the better part of the series like this is this is now this was the you know this was a that showing him that picture when he sees that picture and when he starts to see the paperwork and all the pieces that are surrounding this case and, and the type of work that is going to be necessary for to do this case, I, I, I think that, uh, yeah, that there's definitely a change for the a shift for him in, in future episodes. And again, I liked how he kept fighting for the case. He kept fighting for the case, even after being told no repeatedly, stood up the Rawls, which is not easy. We saw Foster, Foster, you know, a white colonel is scared to death of Ross. Um, he stood up to Ross, even though he's ranked out, even though ranked Ross outranked him and what have you. And even though 
he had to know in the back of his mind that this might cost him a promotion and might cost him, you know, him being able to climb that ladder up until this point. So I had him as the MVP, but I definitely, the D'Angelo conversations were, were, you know, were great throughout the course of the episode. Even, even the conversation we didn't, we didn't talk about it. Even the conversation he had with the girl uh, saying that basically saying they ain't shit for free. Like, you know, you, he, we talking to you, he was in the apartment with the girl and he's describing his, uh, his, his baby mama saying that, yeah, she want the credit card and she want this and she want that. And he says, you know, when it comes to sex, you know, it comes, it comes, you know, he said the P word ain't shit for free. And I mean, you really hear, I mean, his conversations throughout the course of the episode were just all great. All his, all his dialogue and his, his, his scenes were great throughout the course of the episode. I didn't even think about him initially. I can, I can understand why he would be a candidate, uh, why you would have him um, as the MVP. Because, his, you know, again, you we thought D'Angelo at the beginning of this as kind of like, in over his head and so on and so on, but he shows you parts of, you know, he he gives you parts of where he does know what's going on. He is smart. He is keen to the street, but just doesn't have just to have that soldier in him, to, you know, to go all the way, which you know, we'll see later on. But um, yeah, I had Daniels, but I definitely understand uh, the D'Angelo selection. I think we flushed out everything in terms of that episode. I think we, we you know, expunged and, you know, twisted the episode to, um, to its core, came up, went to that, you know, twisted all out the, all, flushed out all the other details and what have you of that episode. As always, thanks to Robert Sapp um, for joining me right, on this, this program. Healthy, be safe. Be, uh, you know, be safe, enjoy, be safe out there, enjoy the Jordan documentary. Now, of course, thanks to Robert Seth for joining the episode. That, of course, will wrap it up for this edition of The Real Deal Podcast, The Wire Remix, Episode 6, The Wire. I will see you next time. We're going to do a podcast on a Jordan, on a Bulls classic coming up later in the week. And, of course, we'll have the documentary breakdown with Chad Quinn and Rob Seth later on as well. I'm out.